Hey, uh, for the rest of you, for all those who are alive and remain, in Ephesians chapter 6, in the context of putting on the whole armor of God, I'm going to look today at a particular piece of armor that everybody knows and needs, but no one knows the name. Before that piece of armor is identified, let me just say that um, I want you to ask yourself this question. When was the last time you went bowling? By the way, when it's cold outside like this, it's a great time to go bowling. When was the last time you went bowling? Just raise your hand. I mean, I'm sorry if you've been bowling. Raise your hands. No one's been bowling. You need to go bowling. So do I. When was the last time you got a, a strike or a spare? How long ago was that? I don't know about you, but like the, the pins just avoid my ball. When I roll it, they just, I don't know what they do, but they, they just avoid my ball, you know. There's a prophetic picture that the Lord gave me that I want to just use this morning, and I think that as odd as it seems, bowling pins are the perfect thing. So I'm going to say, imagine bowling, but the object is, well, you're the pin. You're not actually the one rolling the ball. You're the pin, and your goal is to be missed by the ball and to remain standing. So those that get knocked down they're out of the game. And the bail that comes down eventually takes us all away. But I want to add to that, that wonderful game that people learned during COVID. It's called The Floor is Lava. How many of you played that game? Which is basically... Now, Judy won't let me play this. because Just imagine that the floor is lava and you can't touch the floor... So you go from couch to couch and chair to chair and you maneuver yourself around the house without touching the floor because after all, the floor is lava. I'm going to take those two things and put them together and say, what if you're a bowling pin and your job is to remain standing because after all, the floor is lava and none of us want to be knocked down because the floor is lava. None of us want to lose the game. With that prophetic picture in mind, the goal of having the whole armor of God on is that we are able to stand against the schemes of the devil and with the Lord Jesus Christ. We'll talk about how to win against the devil at an, another day, but right now it's just all about how to stand. And if there's one thing that concerns me more than just about anything I can know is that so many believers in the last few years were not able to withstand the bowling ball. And they're down. The Lord gave me a word in my fast a little while back. and He said, giving up on the church is the first step to falling away. And I want you to tell people that. Giving up on the church is the first step to falling away. So many have fallen away. 
But I am here today to encourage you in a way so that you might stand. And that you'll help other people to stand. And we'll lock arms together. This is an encouraging word for us, for the body of Christ. So I'm going to just ask you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. And um, if you would, just um, follow along with me. Because the stakes are very, very high here. I'm going to read verses 10 through 14. And verse 14 is where we're looking today. But Ephesians 6, verse number 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand or withstand against the wiles or schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in heavenly places. Let me put a pin in that for one second and just say, there's a Sunday coming that I want to talk just about that aspect but for me, I just, I hate giving the, the devil prime time. But if you want to get a head start, read Psalm 82. Psalm 82. And, and, and you, you'll, you understand, having read Psalm 82, that there is, well, God is the one true God, but there aren't, he's not the only one in the heavenlies that has spiritual power. Psalm 72. But today, I just want to call to your attention that the stakes have never been higher. In my generation, the fruit of the 60s and the sexual revolution have now come to roost. And the people of the 60s are in our colleges. They're in places of government. They're on school boards. They're in universities. They're in media they're everywhere. And the only thing I can say about them is that we need to pray and to intercede because God says in Romans chapter 1 that when people reject the lie, I mean, reject the truth about God and believe the lie and write him out of the script, that God gives us over to do what we want to do. And on our own, we end up worshiping other things. And it leads into sin of every kind and every kind of magnitude. But it starts with sexual sins. So we're living surrounded by people who have come to full maturity in a generation of living unto their own selves. And that's one of the reasons why we're not doing so well as a nation and as a people. But there's good news. In verse number 13, he says, Therefore, you, believer, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Thank you. Stand, having girded your waist with truth, 
having put on the breastplate of righteousness. There's a couple words there. In this second month of 2023, I believe that the defining principle in the days ahead will be which truth we will identify with. By the way, I'm a little bit tired of hearing people say that may be your truth, but it's not my truth. Have you ever heard of gravity? It's kind of universal because truth doesn't get truer and it never gets less true. If it's truth, it's always truth and it's true for everyone. So we need to gird our loins and identify with truth. So, first of all, what are loins? And secondly, what is truth? Let me just say about loins because that particular word is kind of, you know, the polite way of saying, well, in my New King James translation, it says about your waist, you know. But it's the polite way of saying, well, just, just think, instead of loins, think of groin. This particular piece of armor that the Romans soldiers wore was, first of all, functionary, and secondly, it was identificational. So, if you can imagine a man in battle, and he's got some form of underwear on, but he's wearing a tunic, which is basically a dress or a kilt or something of that kind, not like pant legs. And so he has a belt around him with, if you can see on the soldier here, there's a five leather straps that hang down in the front with beads and things on it to hold it. I'm not sure that would have been very fun to run in because I'm, I'm just imagining, you know, gravity. <laughs> But it did keep the front of your skirt down, you know? But the most important thing was that identified you as a legionnaire, a legionary. So you were identified. You're either an archer, you know, or, or, or you could be one of the foot soldiers, or you could be possibly a part of the artillery, or, you know, slingers, slingstone, you know? Um, but that identified you as being a part of a regiment. So in other words, it's a part of the uniform that basically shows who you belong to. So I find it fascinating that Paul, who had a great deal of experience being chained to uh, soldiers, would look over at them and say, that, that thing that's a belt, it's a leather belt around them, and it hangs down in the front, it identifies them. That thing there reminds me that we need to have our loins, the very most delicate and intricate and important part of our body. Paul would later say the, 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 the less honorable members of our body, absolutely <clears throat> covered in, a, in an identification that identifies you with a particular group. And though that may not sound like much to us today, it functioned like a, a a badge or, you know, the, the, the stripes and things on, the, on, on our current soldiers and law enforcement and etc. So he said, gird your loins with truth. So in the context of putting on the whole armor of God, what does 
gird mean? It means like you, you slip it on like a garment. <laughs> like putting on a coat. Put on truth. We are to clothe or rather arm ourselves in truth. And I'm just going to throw this out there. As long as I've been living, there's been a question about this, but I am here today to tell you that I have an, a, a conviction that there is absolute truth. It, it, and it's not shades of gray. It is absolute truth. Just like there is one true God, there is an absolute truth. And a thousand years ago, it was truth. 2,000 years ago, it was truth. 5,000 years ago, it was truth. 100 days from now, it'll still be truth. 100 years from now, it'll still be truth. 1,000 years from now, it'll still be truth. And 10,000 years from now, it will still be truth. So if there's any kind of uncertainty in your heart today what truth is i want you to have a conviction and, and and an assurance that there is absolute truth which is good it's good because what if the guy in charge the one above us the one who is in control of our eternity and our destiny what if he changed like we do on a whim what if god changed on a whim what if he were to become as flippant and confused as we are we are to clothe ourselves in absolute truth god's truth so that we are able to stand, or rather withstand, against the bowling balls that the enemy hurls at us, the schemes of the devil, and we are able to stand with the Lord Jesus Christ. I know it's not popular today, but there's a day that is coming in the not-too-distant future, we don't know. But at some point, there is a day of judgment coming. And it will not work to stand before God Almighty and say, God, that might be your truth. <laughs> Jesus looks at Michael and says, here we go again. When the gavel falls, the judgment will be made, and it will be absolute, and it will be final. That's kind of a scary thought. Unless we run to Jesus and we say, look, I give up on trying to save myself. I give up on trying to earn salvation 
I give up on trying to be what you need me to be, what you're expecting me to be. You know, recently, while teaching ministerial students and preparing for it, the Lord gave me a thought, and I've never thought this before. And then I did some investigation, and I started looking, and every scripture I found really just bears this out. Do you know that God isn't saying, when you fell from the glory of God, he's not saying you fell from my expectation of holiness or my ability to be righteousness. You didn't fall from that, even though we're made in his image and after his likeness. In other words, what God is expecting of mankind isn't a righteousness that is comparable to God's. He expected us to follow a righteousness that was dumbed down for humans. And so he gave us a prescription of laws. The law of Moses didn't say, if you obey this, you will be righteous like God. No, it said, if you do this, you will be accepted by God. And if you are able to keep these, you will be accepted as righteous before God as God expects from any man. But God doesn't expect any man to rise up to his level of holiness, his level of righteousness, because that is something entirely different. So what we've fallen short of is not just the image of God and the glory that God placed upon us. By the way, that's how Adam and Eve didn't notice each other's nakedness, is that they were clothed in the glory of God. They didn't see those unpresentable parts of each other. They didn't feel naked because they were clothed in glory. God's expectation of mankind was basically this, don't eat from this tree. The knowledge of good and evil. That was all he expected from them. And of course, they did what the one thing they were not supposed to do. So when mankind slips and slides and rolls down into the mud and into the blood and the beer... God is trying to lift mankind out of that slime and out of that shame and out of that debased nature and raise him up to the level of a human being. God's asking us to be good humans. How about it? And I, for one, find that to be Liberating. God's not expecting me to be like him. He's the only one of him. He's expecting you and me to obey a righteous commandment. And we couldn't even do that. Therefore, God, in fulfillment of the law of Moses, sent his own son to die for you, to die for me. I've often told, told people this, that I have a son. I have two amazing son-in-laws, but I have a son. And if a pandemic were to sweep 
our nation or our world. And the only cure for that pandemic that was taking away people's lives was in the blood of my son. I'm sorry, I could not give him for you. I couldn't do it. I might want to, but I couldn't do it. I could not give David and say, here, take his blood, take his life. I couldn't do that. Sort of a relief to him, but you know. But to me, as a man, I can't even fathom that. So, but let's just say I did. What's this say? I did the unthinkable and I gave my son. And we walked up to you with the antidote. And you said, no, thank you. How upset do you think I would be? Is God righteous to have a holy anger at those who willingly and wantonly refuse the antidote of the blood of his son? Absolutely. Absolutely. So now I want to take that thought and say, I'm just telling you that not only did God not require of you and me his level of holiness, what he has actually asked is that we keep a law. And we couldn't keep a law, so he gave his son. So now his son shares his blood, but not only his son, his blood, but his righteousness. And so we're to embrace his son. And when we embrace his son, then there is an expectation that comes along with that. And that is that if he was right about that, then he's right about other things. So he has the right to dictate to us what he expects from us. So the apostle Paul had that wonderful conversion experience and he didn't want Jesus to be the answer, but Jesus was the answer and he was persuaded and he accepts Jesus. Now he begins preaching Jesus. But he lives long enough to recognize as a pastor, as I have, that the Lord can rescue us. And when he does, it's a wonderful thing. But if we don't prepare and arm ourselves, the same scheming, lying creature that drug mankind into the morass that we fell into, is still there wanting to destroy us. And one of the things that he does is to try to confuse us about what to do and what not to do. Can I just give you one example? And this is not a great example, but um, I remember when George Barna, I love George Barna, Sometimes I don't know about him. I don't know if he's on our side or not. But anyways, George Barna gave us statistics. And he said, hey, uh, church, I really want to help you to understand something. And that is that even though you're accepting Jesus, you don't seem to be following him. And we'll just use one example. It's with regard to divorce. And he said, I, it's embarrassing, but I got to tell you that the Christian divorce rate is almost equal to that of the rest of the world. 
And then all of a sudden he come out and said, wait a second, it's, it's the same. It's exactly the same. The new measurement is cohabitation. And, and we're finding that Christians are cohabiting together before marriage at the same rate as the rest of the world. Which says to us that some, there's a disconnect between receiving Jesus and actually following him and loving him and obeying him. And so it starts with a lie. And um, Pilate, when Jesus stood before him, Jesus said to him, Pilate, you're true. What you're saying is true. I am a king of the Jews. And Pilate rejects Jesus outright and puts him at arm's length by asking a rhetorical question. And the question is, what is truth? All he is doing is saying, I'm not going to talk philosophy. I'm not going to talk religion. I'm not going to reason with you, Jesus. But he's convicted in his heart. And he doesn't want to do the right thing. So he's going to do what he's done time and time again, and it's just look away and let this innocent man be murdered. But this time he's got his wife on his back, and his wife is telling him, don't have anything to do with him. There's, I've had dreams about this man. You know, leave him go. And Pilate is, is, is in, in the crosshairs. And what he does is he throws responsibility off by saying, what is truth? which is where conversations oftentimes lead to when we're sharing our faith with unbelievers, is what they want to do is throw off. Look, like no one can even know what the truth is. So, you know, that's good for you, so that's your truth. But in my truth, you know, God is much more open to other gods and to other ways to God and so don't, don't tell me that this is the only way. And that's where I usually raise my hand and say, you know, actually, I didn't say that. Jesus did. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. There is no going to God the Father without Jesus. There is no knowing the truth about God without Jesus. And there is no living a life before God and with God without Jesus. So actually, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. Usually people say, well, you know, I don't have any problem with Jesus, it's, you know, it's the church, you know, that's, I understand, I get that, fair target, do you know the truth is the church is made up of people who've been redeemed from their sin, and we're all in recovery, you know, mm -hmm. so, what is truth, after all, everyone has a notion of truth, I like the story and I'm just going to take a minute to stop here in John chapter 4 where Jesus is thirsty and he stops on the way through Samaria at this well and this lady comes up 
And if you know this story, you know that she's a Samaritan, which means she's biracial. But she's not just a biracial Samaritan, but she, which is someone that the Jews rejected. And there's long history there for why. But not only was she that, but she was also a conflicted woman because she'd been married five times. Now, if you've ever been through the pain of divorce, God bless you, I pray for you. But I'm thinking, you know, this gal's like a serial bride, you know. She, she's gone through men like people go through life insurance, you know. I mean, you know, changing a couple of times is acceptable, but five times is kind of ridiculous, you know, after a while. So, so here's the thing is that Jesus is sitting there. He really, he's just thirsty. He just wants water. But this gal is there, and the spirit is on him to help her. And so the lady comes to the well with her truth or her understanding of truth which was forged in the fires of life, right? And then there's obviously the truth of the people that she lives among, because otherwise, why would she come in the heat of the day, at the middle of the day, to avoid the other people? You know, she wasn't getting along with people. And then the disciples, let's say that they represent a certain uh, religious mindset. So there's, there's a truth that she had and there is a truth that the village people had. And then there's a truth that the religious crowd was holding on to. And then there was Jesus with another set of truth. And um, in this conversation, Jesus begins to speak to her. And he said, woman, a day is coming and now is in which true worshipers will neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship. But true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. So there's a realm of the spirit and there's a realm of the truth. It, it, it's not just your truth and my truth or the religious people and their truth or whatever. There's a realm of the spirit. Brothers and sisters, God is spirit. They that worship him, worship him in spirit and in truth. But you know, you are spirit too. You have a spirit. In fact, the real you is spirit, but you also have a body, and you also have a soul. So the real you is spirit. We forgot that. We, 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 when we left worshiping the one true God, we went to worshiping creation, which ends up being ourselves. So now what we do is we worship the physical, the outward. Everything about it, you know. That's what we end up worshiping. And we consider that to be truth. 
And then when Christians come along and start talking about the resurrection, people are disconnecting because it's like, I don't know. I think that when you die, you don't know anything and you just, you're, you're just dead and, and so you're not living. And so I'm not sure why at funerals, in fact, here's one of the things I've noticed, funerals are becoming more and more and more emotional and there's more and more grief because people have given up on believing in a life after life. So all that Jesus did was point out to her, you are spirit. You're not some man's plaything. You're a spirit. And we're going to worship God, not in our flesh, but in our spirit, which means this is a spiritual experience. To give up on the church is to give up on encountering God in the spirit. Now, this is not the only place you can encounter God, but can I tell you that we spend a lot of time preparing this place to be a place where you can encounter God. Amen? This, this, is, this is, of all the places, yes, you can go to the woods and have a spiritual encounter. I'm just asking you to take your Bible with you because people have had spiritual encounters in the woods for a long time. All right? Sometimes mush mushrooms are involved. But, you know, the thing is that <clears throat> the, the, there is a one true God, and he desires that we worship him because worshiping him doesn't inflate his ego. It deflates our ego, and it creates an environment in which we can relate to him in a proper manner and not worship the creation instead of the creator. But then there's also, is, it's in the realm of the truth. So, so the thing is that there is one true God, and he has a son, and his name is Jesus. And there is one true way, and it's through Jesus. And there's one true eternal life. And it's through Jesus. Can I answer the question, what is truth? Once and for all, after today, never be confused. Truth has a name. His name is Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Okay. Now, here's, here's the thing that, that for me is the hardest sell. Jesus is an easy sell because he's amazing. What is harder to get people to do is to actually love him enough to embrace not him only, but him and his word. So truth has a name, but truth also has a creed. And it's not a creed that we've created. See, the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God that created the world. When God spoke and created, the word created. And the word was with God and the word was God. And when this creation was created, it was through the word of God. You can't create without the word of God. Even cults need the word of God and distort it if they want to capture someone's heart. So... The word of God is living. 
is resurrected. Jesus is the word. So we could also say if truth has a name and his name is Jesus, and if we also would say that Jesus is the word, then we can say the word is truth. It's real simple. I can have an encounter with Jesus anytime I want to. I open the book and I look for Jesus and he looks for me. I talk to him and he talks to me. Sometimes it's mystical, it's spirit to spirit, but oftentimes it's, there's no magic to it at all. It's, I, I start reading, and when I, when I read, I suddenly hear Jesus speaking. And the reason people aren't hearing God is because they're not opening the book. To be honest with you, we're all looking for a shortcut. And we were hoping that someone could lay hands on us and cast faithfulness into us and unfaithfulness out of us. As a young man, having accepted Jesus as my Savior, living as a young teenager in the age when the miniskirt was invented, I went to Psalms 119, and I read this verse, and King James was my native language. Wherewithal will a young man keep his way pure? And the answer is by giving heed to God's word. And I became a student of God's word. But you know what I found out is that Jesus had this way of updating the word of God. He would say, you have heard it said, but I say to you. You have heard it said, but I say to you. He wasn't correcting truth. He was upgrading it because truth was standing in front of them. Truth was standing in front of Pilate. Truth was standing in front of the woman at the well. Truth was standing in front of um, the disciples as they were hearing Jesus teach, as they were experiencing his life, mesmerized by the, you know, miracles. The truth was standing in front of them. And I'm here today to ask you to consider two things. First of all, make a new commitment to Jesus Christ and embrace him as the truth. And then demonstrate that commitment by reading his word, obeying his word. Pastor, there's so many versions of the Bible. Which one should I read? My standard answer is take any version of the Bible, good or bad, take the one you like, read it, obey it. It'll change your life because the word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we are here today to... 
you, I, I can't pray and gird myself with truth. I have to be committed to it. I have to be identified with it. I have to say yes to it. It's, it, it's something I have to eat and feed on. It's something that I have to clothe myself with. So please don't misunderstand Paul. He's using a metaphor here. He's just trying to create a word picture for you, and it's a real one, and it works well, but it is a mistake to say, I'm going out the door today, and I clothe myself with this, I'm going to gird my loins, my groin, I'm going to gird my groin with truth. That, that doesn't work. You actually have to identify with it. You actually have to embrace it. You actually have to love it. You actually have to communicate it. You actually have to commune with it. Would you please stand with me? We are about to celebrate communion, and um, I just want to pray with all of you, and, and I want to say to those that are on live stream that we're going to celebrate communion, and you can go and prepare yourself and celebrate with us, along with us. But if you have to leave, if you have to disconnect at any point, here's a good point to do it. But let me just tell you that I, I am, the Lord has me on a mission. This year is going to be different than last year. This year is going to be different because God is doing a new thing inside of me. And I trust he's doing a new thing inside of you. And he is going to help us to stand. So, you know, it's, it's more than bowling balls that we're avoiding but I do say that the floor is lava. Stand fast, therefore. Having girded your waist with truth. Father, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that today we as a people who have gathered to worship Jesus would love him enough to return to him again. To surrender our hearts and our affections again to the truth. And to be committed. As I'm praying, Lord, I sense an objection. Pastor, that sounds so good, but it sounds just a little bit judgmental, just a little bit critical. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to tell you, I've wrestled with this, this issue for years. I've asked God to explain his wrath to me. I've asked God to explain why Jesus is the only way. And he has never, ever given me an answer. So here's what I'm working with. It's true and it's not changing. Therefore, we need to hold fast to it so that his truth becomes our truth.